Welcome to another episode of Nine Cents. It is I, your humble host, Adam Campbell. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. It is great to have you yet another week as we get a little bit closer to that amazing holiday of Halloween. Oh yeah, this is Halloween, this is Halloween, Halloween, whoa! (laughs) Uh, It's a little bit exciting, and I do have a great show for you this week. Before I talk specifically about the show, I got, finally, as uh, another family member, I am so excited about this because we've been looking literally for months for a hypoallergenic dog from a local shelter. And we finally, finally found one, and we found one, luckily enough, that was very compatible with my two children, and I cannot be more excited. I have, I grew up with dogs, and so I've had this immediate powerful connection with them and it's probably the reason why I connect so much with the idea of werewolves as well because I I really see myself not so much as a separate species even though I recognize that I am um, but I actually have this really strong connection with them and I don't know if that's just from growing up around them I don't know if it's because I didn't have a lot of friends growing up and I connected with my dogs in that friend way uh, you know, relying on them for entertainment and uh, someone to talk to that, you know, would listen, actually, or at least, you know, not have an opportunity to tell me to shut up. <laughs> but I just had this really, really tight connection. So I wanted my kids to experience that as well. And as I grew older, I developed asthma that was triggered by dander, um, really specifically um, to cats. But we tried a number of dogs, and we've had a number of dogs throughout my adult life, through my asthma period, hoping that one of them, you know, wouldn't trigger, and they always had. So we specifically looked for hypoallergenic. It took a really long time to find one, like I mentioned just a moment ago, but we did. Her, She is four years old, rescued from a local shelter. Her name is Minnie, and she is amazing. It just follows me around wherever I go in the house. It's awesome. I went to the post office and dropped off some packages today, and uh, she was just sitting in the car tail wagging as soon as I came out of the post office. So, you know, it was one of those things where I already know that there's a really strong connection between the two of us, even though it's only been quite literally a day. And so I, I really have high hopes. My daughter is in love with this animal, and I cannot be more ecstatic about that as well. Uh, my son is excited just to have something that's not just a fish, <laughs> you know, something you can interact with as a pet. And um, I don't know, it feels good, and it certainly feels right, and it's so exciting. Let me talk a little bit about my personal life for a second as well. For the past couple of years primarily due to the economy being 
such a terrible place and me working in the advertising agency uh, arena you know our our income is entirely based on businesses willingness to spend money advertising and for the past couple of years they haven't which means that I have not gone to raise in all that time which due to inflation and uh, my wife not working at the moment she's trying to find another job um, it's really really tough right now in the out, out there in the in the field but you know she's doing what she can she's had a number of interviews and I mean there are literally like one of them she went to they filtered through 500 resumes to drop it down to 20 and she was one of the 20 so it's just you know it is like really really difficult out there right now so while she's out of work and I'm working inflation is continuing especially gas prices this past year so it, money has been a little bit tight um and I knew, you know, it has been a little while since I've had a raise because of the economy, as mentioned. So I thought, you know what, I have to do this. I have to get this uh, a raise. I have to increase the income in this household. And if my wife is having such a hard time, the only other way is me to actually get a raise. Uh, very challenging, very difficult. I employed for the last couple uh, weeks some uh, lesser magic I have gone out of my way to perform above and beyond. And this last week, I went into my boss's office and uh, explained my position, explained my understanding of why things are the way they are, but also let him know that I need this raise of X amount and this is what I need. And I deserve it because I'm worth it. And... He agreed. He thought it was fair, even though no one else in the company is, is doing any better. So this is proof that lesser magic works. It is proof of hard work and uh, um, self-confidence works. So a little bit of excitement there on the home front. I mean, it wasn't an exorbitant amount. It, it was enough to keep me tied over for another year, for sure. Um, and certainly until my wife finds a job, which I know she will probably this year. I mean, she does have a couple more months to keep looking for this year. Um, but I just want to share that because it, it's times like that when you feel like sometimes you're up on the ropes and you're not entirely sure what you can do or what you should do. Well, it's all there in Satanism. It is all there for you. You are given the tools. It is part of who you are. Uh, be yourself, and it pays off. Not always as much as you want, and not always as often, but it will always pay off. Um, and like I mentioned already, I do have a great show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking a little bit about married to the non-satanic. Not all of us who are married and are Satanists are married to Satanists. So I'm going to explain a little bit about how that works from my perspective, being married to an amazing non-Satanic woman. In the Infernal Informant, I'm going to be talking about two articles, Exotic Animals Endured Abuse, Neglect, at Ohio Farm, documents say, and Anne Frank, a Mormon? In the Crazy Feature, I'm going to be delivering an interview with FXT, 
another really great local musician. And in the bizarre of the bizarre, I'm going to be talking about finding a rogue black curly hair on your desk or counter. <laughs> a rogue black hair. <laughs> kind of gross, right? I'm going to talk about it. Um, and that's going to be the entirety. So, one more week until Halloween. One more week until the Halloween Nine Cents Greater Magic episode. I am very excited to get this out to you guys. I hope you're excited to listen to it. Nine Cents begins right now. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I'll raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon. To the north and to the south I show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail Satan? I said, can I get a hail Satan? We are the Devil's Advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Are you a Satanist? Are you not married to a Satanist? I can help. My name is Dr. Adam Campbell. I'm not actually a real doctor, but I am Adam Campbell. And I'm going to give you a few tips and tricks about living a satanic life with a non-satanic partner. Maybe I can't really help <laughs> with, with your specific situation, uh, but let me talk about my specific situation. Because we as Satanists are born and not made, it's natural for you to uh, become infatuated pe- with other people who probably aren't Satanists at all. And some of you out there will actually become attracted and have or develop a bond with someone who's actually religious in a completely different way, uh, potentially an Islamic Judeo-Christian way. And I think this has a lot to do because obviously uh, human connection isn't always uh, based on um, paralleling politics or religious ideals. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just the way life works, right? Uh, and, and I don't know. I mean, I know with me, when I was growing up, I never even had it cross my mind that I should or could find another Satanist to marry because I didn't know any others. I, I, I genuinely, I, I felt like I was the only person like me growing up where I was, the only one. So to think that I would be able to find another person that I could connect with who would also be a Satanist was the furthest reaches of possibility. Uh, as it turned out, uh, my my high school sweetheart, actually, um, we connected due to a, a, a really old, really good friend at the time and immediately immediately fell in love and throughout our senior high school year and two years following that before I joined the military we were you know we had some difficulty as anyone does in any relationship as a young child Um, but after dating for three years 
and me really heading into the military, I asked her to marry me. And I think initially, in all honesty, I did it because I was afraid. I was afraid that I was going to be going somewhere where I would have no connection to home. I was afraid that I would truly be alone, and I was afraid that I would lose the one person that I ever had a connection with, that ever understood who I really was, a Satanist, and didn't care. It didn't bother them, and I didn't want to lose that. Um, so, perhaps on some levels, we got married not under the best circumstances. And the first couple years were pretty amazing, to be honest. After the first couple years, we had some issues, but we always were of the understanding that a marriage is not always a perfect thing. Quite literally, a marriage is never a perfect thing. It, it's not something that... Uh, it's not like a pie, for example. The trouble is in baking it, and then all of a sudden it's just great to eat. Well, the reality is, a marriage, you know, there is some trouble in that relationship phase to get to actually the marriage part, which is the, you know, the baking it. But then you have to keep going. You have to keep working on it. Because as human beings, you know, we go through these self-actualizing phases in our lives where we change. Our perceptions change. Our ideas adjust and change. Uh, what we like and don't like changes. So if you're going to be married throughout that framework, you really have to be able to swallow a little bit of pride at times, um, admit that you're wrong even if you don't think you are at times, and at times you have to compromise. Uh, point in fact, almost all the time, you have to compromise. Uh, relationships are two-sided, so that's just something, you know, on, on just a relationship level, these are things that you have to keep in mind. Um, on a tip level, from someone who's been married um, more than a decade, worship your woman. Worship them. They are the center of their world. And I tell you what, that saying, behind every great man is a great woman, is absolutely true. If you worship your woman, if you treat her with the respect that she deserves, and tell her how much you love her as often as you can, um, without being obsessive naturally, that goes a long way because then she will support you in what you need. Your success is heavily dependent on your partner if you have one. So you need to develop that as a strong relationship. But you also have to realize, and this is just my, you know, my little tips here on, on a good, happy marriage, uh, and I didn't really even plan on mentioning this at all. Um, I think it's a little bit apropos for the conversation, though. Uh, worship your woman. Support her in whatever she wants to do. Because that's the only way you're going to get her to support you. And remember, and this could just be from me growing up in the, in the environment that I grew up in. Um, but just because you're married does not give you dominion over your partner whether that's a woman or a man, or whether you're the woman or man. You do not have the right to tell them what they can and can't do. You have to understand that if you want to have a little bit of liberty, you have to step back and allow them to have it as well. Um, and just let them grow and watch the, the beauty of who they are develop as they grow. 
it's an amazing thing. I, I mean, I just think in the time that I've been married, my wife has blossomed from uh, this sort of awkward teenage girl into this amazingly powerful, beautiful woman who will stand up to me when many grown men won't. So th- there's a confidence and a, an authority there, you know, about her presence that I just think there's no way she would have had without without the opportunity to grow. And that's what you want as well, I'm sure. Uh, hopefully not my wife. <laughs> but, you know. Okay, so on to the satanic side of things. So because you don't have a satanic partner, and in this particular case, because I don't, it, it does become a bit challenging. So if you want to perform a ritual, um, my wife may be okay acting as a stand-in, but I don't feel like it would be okay. I feel like if, if I'm going to perform a ritual, for example, I want the participants to contribute their energy, their their uh, their will, and their entire being to that moment. And I think that's pretty impossible if you don't share the same philosophical ideals. So my wife doesn't join in my rituals. Uh, she's accepting and understanding and and encourages me to do what I feel like I need to do when I need to do it. She's incredibly accommodating and patient. Um, I think she really does not like the idea of me having, um, for example, pictures of Anton LaVey on our wall in in particular areas or hanging up on a bookshelf or something like that. But she understands that that's an integral part of who I am. And so she accepts that. And because of that, I'm more than willing to let her, you know, put up whatever it is that she wants to put up on the walls, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm as accommodating as possible to what she wants to do. Uh, I am in the fortunate position of not having a religious wife. So I think that also helps as well. She actually believes everything in the first part of the Satanic Bible. It's, it's the, the ritual and the worshiping um, of oneself. Um, that is a little bit confusing to her. And I, and here's the thing, like when I first, um, joined the church of Satan, we had been married for a year, but we'd been dating for nearly three or four. So she knew who I was. She knew what I believed. And I was sort of at that point where I almost was tempted to try to convince her to be involved until you get to that point where like, well, you know what? We are really born this way. I never at a point in my life thought I need to believe something and then, hey, why not have that be Satanism? It was never a thing like that. And so for me to have the audacity to think that I could somehow change her or make her be what I wanted her to be, one, was really, really offensive to her as an individual, but also to, I mean, what would that mean to Satanism if we went around proselytizing and, and, you know, trying to convert people? You would literally water down what it means to be the alien elite. So I I quickly stopped trying to do that, um, and I, I say try to do that, and really all I was doing was, hey, you know what, read the Satanic Bible, this is what I, I love about it, and, you know, I want you to talk with me about it. She was never into it, but, you know, that that's what you have to realize, uh, that because we are born and not made, you cannot change your spouse to your way of thinking, 
hopefully you married them because of the way they naturally think and the way they naturally are. So why would you want to change that anyway, right? Um, and it can be challenging, but if you are willing to put in the work to supporting them and what they love and, and their desires, well, then that's going to reciprocate back on you and you're going to have a fulfilling satanic relationship even though you're the only Satanist in that relationship. Uh, this was a little bit long-winded, I know, and I sort of went off on a little bit of different tangents, and maybe the, the entirety of it is really base, but it's something that I felt like I wanted to talk about. I had heard, um, for example, I saw a blog by uh, one of the reverends in, in the church um, on one of the social networking sites who I've actually interviewed in the past, and you know, she had a really powerful way of addressing the same issue, and so I felt like you know, it's been a number of months since I read that blog, um, and I may have some different perspective being the man in the situation rather than the woman in the situation, so I decided to talk about it today. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's go ahead and move on over into the infernal informant. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, doves and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the infernal informant. This is a Los Angeles Times Nation article. Exotic animals endured abuse, neglect at Ohio Farm, documents say. Posted October 21st, 2011. New documents released Friday show that the exotic animals caged at the Backyard Zoo in Ohio suffered abuse and neglect, lacking basic necessities such as food, water, and shade, while the public was repeatedly placed at risk by ramshackle enclosures and animals on the loose. Lion cages often lacked roofs, leaving nothing to prevent the animals from escaping, while other animals were kept in filthy, cramped pens, according to the reports. Pens were also located too close to one another, causing anxiety for the animals and, sometimes, injury. In one case, a tiger was missing its tail, most likely because it slipped through an adjoining cage and was ripped off or bitten off by another animal. Moreover, the document suggests that Ohio law enforcement officials were unable to put an immediate stop to it all. The state is well known among animal rights activists for its leniency towards owners of exotic and dangerous animals. Repeated phone calls to the Muskingum County Sheriff's Department were not returned Friday. The documents were posted on the department's website. The town of Zanesville was in the news this week when Terry W. Thompson, owner of the Muskingum County Animal Farm, threw open the cages and pens holding his more than 50 big game exotics, including lions, tigers, grizzly bears and wolves, and monkeys, and then killed himself. Law enforcement officials who were called out to the farm at dusk said they had little choice but to gun down most of the animals to prevent them from leaving the farm at nightfall, which would have given the creatures several hours of darkness to scatter into the region and jeopardize public safety. Six animals were rescued, and Thompson's estranged wife, Marion, has expressed interest in reuniting with them. Again and again, the documents show law enforcement authorities were called out to the Thompson compound on Kopachek Road over the years to follow up on dozens of complaints. A line on the loose, horses, cows, and bulls breaking free and trampling neighbors' property, and a mountain lion sighting. 
But the most serious allegations, according to the documents, came in 2008 and involved reports of animal cruelty and public safety abuses, including improper fencing, cages without roofs, cages secured by plastic ties, and other makeshift methods. In some cases, relatively lightweight dog kennels were used to secure lions and tigers. Authorities found lions in a pen surrounded by eight-foot-high fencing, leaving nothing to prevent the animals from escaping. Lions, tigers, bears, monkeys, wolves, leopards, and mountain lions lacking food, water, and shade, and living in unsanitary conditions in cages caked with layers of urine and feces. In some cases, animals were living alongside rotten carcasses. Pens so tight that the animals, particularly tigers and lions, could not get sufficient exercise, or pens located right alongside each other, causing stress and anxiety for the animals. Lions, cubs showing signs of bow-leggedness due to malnutrition, a mountain lion suffering tremors, and sewage standing water in the bear's pen. Injuries in need of treatment, such as a cut over a bear's eye, a horse with an injured leg, and lesions on a lion's hips. Follow-up reports suggest that the couple made many of the upgrades demanded of them according to some of the paperwork. Authorities decided at one point that there was not enough evidence to seal a conviction on animal abuse charges or a court order against the Thompsons and decided instead to work closely with them to remedy the situation. I confirmed with Marion that they would call the county sheriff's office immediately if an animal ever escaped, the officer wrote in the report. Some abuses in particular, a lack of drinking water and sufficient feed, were allegedly visible far beyond the compound's fencing, according to the documents. In April 2005, neighbors complained about the Thompson's calves, cows, and cattle escaping because they are starved and in search of food. Later the same year, a neighbor reported that several of the Thompson's horses had broken loose and surrounded her car, licking the vehicle to get water from the rain. A law enforcement officer responded to the complaints, noted that cows are bellowing for food. Again and again, neighbors told police that they thought the animals were going hungry and were not fed on a regular basis. Neighbors with a view of the property said the cattle were lucky when someone came by three times a week to drop off food. One neighbor in particular said she'd personally made well over a dozen calls to sheriffs, to animal welfare offices, to no avail. Neighbors raised cruelty and sanitation questions after noticing that several of the cattle died, causes unknown, and their remains were left within view of the road and in the same area where animals continued to graze and wander. Dead animals were ultimately placed in a dead hole, on the property documents said. The smell of rotting flesh was very hard to stand, an officer noted in one of the reports. One neighbor complained to police that, for some reason, Mr. Thompson does not get into any trouble for this and does not have to pay for any of the damages his animals cause on neighboring property. Marion Thompson told authorities that she and her husband took in many of the animals because they were abused and unwanted. They kept them because they are animal lovers, according to the report. Animal lovers, they say. And I guess there's a difference between what I consider an animal lover and a sack of pure shit, which they are in this case. Let's say you're an animal lover, and let's say you're incapable of supporting an animal. Don't take in the animal. How difficult is that to understand? If you cannot support it, 
then you are abusing it just as much as anyone else. This drives me crazy. Now, when it comes to cows, I'm of the firm belief that they wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for our human desire for hamburgers. I mean, really. I mean, we keep them around, and we keep them propagating uh, to serve our consumption requirement. So I'm a little less connected to cows than I am, say, a lion or a tiger, who's a natural predator, who can actually survive without us in the wild. But if you are a type of person, and this is what pisses me off too, uh, Marion in this article expressed uh, a desire to reconnect with the animals. Have you lost your fucking mind? Why would anyone let this lady reconnect with these animals after proving she is incompetent at best and an utter worthless sack of human filth at worst? There's no reason to let her anywhere near any animals. And in fact, I think there should be licenses for owning animals and she should never be allowed to again. And let's say she had nothing to do with it. She still sat by complacent with it happening. If her neighbors could smell the carcasses of these tortured and and, and starving and abused and neglected animals, she had to be knee-deep in it. I'm glad her husband killed himself. I think it's a proof that he didn't give a damn about these animals by opening their cages and just letting them do whatever they want as he killed himself. If he was really an animal lover, he would have left them in their cages and arranged with neighboring zoos or zoos across the world that might be willing to to ship these animals to them. Or rescue areas. These were not animal lovers. So don't ever think that an animal lover would take in animals that they are incapable of caring for, thinking that somehow that's better than the life they had before. It's torture by another hand. It doesn't make it a better torture. It's still torture. All right, so the next article here. Anne Frank, a Mormon? (laughs) This is the New York Times opinion pages. Uh, Op-ed columnist by Maureen Dowd. At an appearance at George Washington University here Saturday night, Bill Maher bounded into territory that the news media have been gingerly tiptoeing around. Magic underwear. Baptizing dead people. Celestial marriages. Private planets. Racism. Polygamy. Quote, By any standard, Mormonism is more ridiculous than any other religion, asserted the famous non-believing comic who skewered the fairy tales of several faiths in his documentary, Religious. It's a religion founded on the idea of polygamy. They call it the principle. That sounds like the prime directive in Star Trek. He, <laughs> he said he expects the Romney crowd, fighting back after Jeff Robert Jeffress, a Texas Baptist pastor, supported Rick Perry, labeled Mormonism a non-Christian cult, to once more gloss over the differences between Christians and Mormons. Marr was not easy on the religion he was raised in either. He referred to the Roman Catholic Church as an international child sex ring. But atheists like Catholics and evangelical Christians, seem especially wary of Mormons, dubbed the ultimate shapeshifters by Marr. In a Washington Post 
Pew Research Center poll released on Tuesday, people were asked what single word came to mind for Republican candidates. For Herman Cain, it was 999. For Rick Perry, Texas. And for Mitt Romney, Mormon. In the debate Tuesday night, Romney said it was repugnant that we should choose people based on their religion. In the Times on Sunday, Cheryl Gay Stolberg chronicled Romney's role as a bishop in Boston, often giving him imperious pastoral guidance on everything from divorce to abortion. Stolberg reported that Romney, who would later run for Senate as a supporter of abortion rights against Ted Kennedy, and then flipped to oppose those rights in Republican presidential primaries, showed up unannounced at a hospital in his role as bishop. He sternly warned a married mother of four who was considering terminating a pregnancy because of potentially dangerous blood clot not to go forward. Another famous non-believer, Christopher Hitchens, wrote in Slate on Monday about the weird and sinister belief system of the LDS, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Aside from Joseph Smith, whom Hitchens called a fraud and conjurer well-known to the authorities in upstate New York, the writer also wonders about the Mormon practice of amass archives of the dead and praying them in as a way to retrospectively baptize everybody as a convert. Hitchens noted that they get hold of a list of those put to death by the Nazis' final solution and began making those massacred Jews into honorary LDS members as well. He called it a crass attempt at mass identity theft from the deceased. The Mormons even baptized Anne Frank. It took Ernest Michael, then chairman of the American Gathering of Jewish Holocaust Survivors, three years to get the Mormons to agree to stop proxy-baptizing Holocaust victims. Mormons desisted in 1995 after Michael, as the Jewish Telegraphic Agency reported, discovered that his own mother, father, grandmother, and best childhood friend, all from Mannheim, Germany, had been posthumously baptized. Michael told the news agency that I was hurt that my parents who were killed as Jews in Auschwitz, were being listed as members of the Mormon faith. Richard Bushman, a Mormon who is a professor emeritus of history at Columbia University, said that after the Jewish dust-up, Mormons backed away from going extra to extravagant lengths to collect the names of every last person who had ever lived and baptize them. Even George Washington. Now they will do it for Mormons who bring a relative or ancestor's name into the temple, he said. Bushman said that Mormons believe that Christ is the divine Son of God who atoned for our sins, but we don't believe in the Trinity in the sense that there are three in one. We believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three distinct persons. Kent Jackson, the Associate Dean of Religion at Brigham Young University, said that while Mormons are Christians, Mormonism is not part of the Christian family tree. It probably won't comfort skeptical evangelicals and Catholics to know that Mormons think that while other Christians merely have a portion of the truth, what God revealed to Joseph Smith is the fullness of the truth, said Jackson. We have no qualms about saying evangelicals, Catholics, and Protestants can go to heaven, including Pastor Jeffress. We just believe that the highest blessing of heaven come to Mormons. <laughs> As I can't help but feel like this is uh, a series of kids at a playground um, saying my dad could beat up your dad. Right? Like how infantile. Uh, I'll, I'll continue here. 
As for those planets that devout Mormon couples might get after death, Jackson says that's a canard. But Bushman says it's part of Mormon lore, and that it's based on the belief that if humans can become like God, and God, who has the whole universe, then maybe Mormons will get to run a bit of that universe. A little bit of ego there, right? As for the special garment that Mitt wears, we wouldn't say it's magic underwear, Bushman explained. It is meant to denote moral protection, a sign that they are a consecrated people, like the priests of ancient Israel. Uh, stealing a little bit of Jewish history there again. And it's not only the one piece anymore. There's a two-piece now, he said. Republicans are the ones who have made faith part of the presidential test. Now we'll see if Mitt can pass it. Yet another reason I cannot abide <laughs> Republicans at all. Uh, and I, last week I talked briefly about uh, how Mormons are no more absurd than any other Christian religion. And I actually stand to that even at, uh, reading this. Because I do think it's insane and it's crazy that a Mormon could think that they would have a planet if they are righteous when they die. But I also think it's pretty insane and ridiculous to think that um, a Catholic can turn wine into blood of Christ and bread into his flesh and then consume it as a means of being one with Christ. Um, I don't even think there was a Christ like they believe in. So, you know, there's a lot of just mythology based around all of these ideas. It's nothing new. It's completely insane and unrational and just made up, like blatantly, obviously made up. But it is one of those things where we as alien aliens have to take a step back and look and realize that we are the adults in this playground of reality, and we are watching these little children argue over toys and argue that their parents could beat up their parents and that it's just this insane child argument that anyone who's grown up and has a rational thinking mind would not for a moment believe his truth but we're not in a rational world obviously <laughs> and to think that they're gonna Here's another, you know, we got to keep in mind, Mormons have been boasting their incredible mass of membership over the world. What percentage of those are dead Holocaust uh, um, victims? What percent of those never even existed when the Mormon church came into reality? I believe in the 1800s. So their membership is so large because they're including a population that hasn't been around to reject said religion. <laughs> and like, no one argues that point. Everyone's just like, yeah, okay, you got a big following. No, no, they don't. They included me, me as a member, even though I hadn't been associated with them since the eighth or since I was eight years old. I had to actually uh, file paperwork to get my name taken out of that list. I had to endure a painful phone call in order for them to take me off a list. I mean, how absurd is it that their membership is solely based on dead people and people that don't want to be associated with them? 
And if we took an actual active population poll, I think they would be quite well below <laughs> what they claim. Um, but none of that changes the ridiculousnesses of it. Uh, none of that changes the fact that I really don't think Romney has a chance in hell of ever being president. Um, and that's one thing I think it's safe to say that's <laughs> positive and maybe the only thing that's positive about the evangelical movement <laughs> is that they will never accept someone like Romney who does believe in as they see it a more absurd <laughs> belief than their absurd belief alright so uh, I think that's enough for the infernal informant and uh, complete irrational absurdity let's uh, take a short break and on the other end jump right into creature feature with my interview with FXT. See you there. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com. Are you looking for music from the 80s and the new wave, post-punk, and other hits? Jay Nothing, the host of The Metro, will take you back to the 80s with songs that made the decade of me so memorable. Get the weekly updates at RadioFreeSatan.com. And remember, Hail Satan. You know, dogs are different than cats. And hey, what if Jack Nicholson were... Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Venture down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram and Eagle, Hello. where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz, only available 
on Radio Free Satan. The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She moves the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as a last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by FXT, a dark, ambient, kick-ass... I don't know, I would even kind of throw in a little bit of techno there in describing it. Uh, Musical artist. uh, In the holy land of Utah. (laughs) Thanks for joining me, FXT. Uh, How are you? I'm lovely this evening. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Definitely not lovely. I'm battling off a cold, but uh, I've almost shaken it, so... Um, Everyone's got to do their time, I guess. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I had uh, met you initially on uh, the Undercroft and um, I believe Letters to the Devil, and sort of uh, you know started communicating in that avenue and learned that you were uh, you were in the the state here, um, and I thought it was amazing because I'd only met a couple other people that were uh, identified as Satanists here. So, when I found out you were an artist, uh, even better. I mean, it's not surprising. I, it's hard to find a Satanist that isn't some form of an artist, uh, you know, at some level. But uh, I was really uh, intrigued about the, the style of music that you were putting out. So, let's talk about that. But before we do, as with all my interviews, let's hear a little bit about yourself. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, who FXT is? Well, I was brought here by aliens back in the day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, actually, I'm from back east, Pennsylvania. My dad moved around, FXT Senior, that would be. Nice. Those are sort of really my initials. My dad moved around. He was a retail big shot. He was a uh, district manager over a Fred Meyer department store, which is big out here in the west. Yeah. Um, retired. He passed away two years ago. That's kind of where I adopted the FXT name. It sounds cooler than... You know, Lord Destructor or something like that. Like all the, uh, the little kids have that just kind of bind the undercroft or Church of Satan. Right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, being from back east, I have very staunchly Roman Catholic parents. So I think you can imagine where this story's already headed. Oh, yeah. Um, pretty strict Catholic upbringing, communion, you know, conquerration, all that. And it was ironically that we came to Utah. I didn't know what a Mormon was. I remember everybody in Albuquerque, where I lived before, laughing at me. <laughs> I said I was moving to Salt Lake City, Utah. And I was like, what? What's so funny? What? They're like, you'll find out. And I found out. <laughs> so one of my earliest memories of living in Salt Lake City was being on the bus as a teenage kid, complete with curly mullet and kiss t-shirt, headphones, the works, going home and the kid next to me goes, where'd you move here from? And I said, oh, New Mexico. And he's like, really? How'd you learn the language so fast? <laughs> Fantastic. This is where I live now. Great. How did you learn? The- and I noticed after that, New Mexico, the license plate stuff was boring a big USA next to where it said New Mexico. <laughs> So you 
moved um, quite a lot. Yeah, it was interesting. I hated it as a kid, but looking back on it, it was an experience. I moved back to Texas for a while after living in Utah, and I really, as much as I hated the Mormons, I came to realize that uh, they've got their control factors here in the state, but they're hardly the kind of people who will walk up to you and start, you know, a disagreement over where you go to church. Now in Texas, the Baptist people will do just that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if you've ever been down there yourself or in the South, but it's not as quiet as it is here when it comes to that stuff. So. Yeah, no, uh, I was stationed in Germany and uh, Kentucky, and we had our run-ins with Baptists, so <laughs> I, I totally understand that. Um, oh, yeah. I'm surprised that Texas, I had no idea that they had um, a big Baptist community, too. I mean, I guess it's just ignorance, but I had no idea. Oh, it's, it's huge down there. I mean, people have bumper stickers on their car proclaiming where they go to church. There are billboards Whoa. for churches, and there are, like, strip malls that are taken over and turned into churches. They're everywhere. Oh, my gosh. transition over to Satanism then uh, when did you when were you first exposed to the Satanic Bible or Satanism well the funniest thing is being so raised so Catholic by my parents I just really never bought into it but they weren't like aggressive about it like you know like a lot of the Mormon kids around here in these parts you know they're quite rebellious because they haven't shoved down their throats I mean my mom would make me go to church and all that but for me it wasn't rebellion and you know the saying Satanists are born not made so I really just never believed in it you know at least since as far back as second grade you know eight years old yeah I just questioned it because at one time I remember asking my mom like well you know dinosaurs and cavemen and all that so where does Adam and Eve fit into that and she couldn't give me an answer <laughs> and I was like well, they've got to fit in somewhere they were real right I mean how could they be these normal people with normal bodies but then we had cavemen these big hulking brutes with hair and sloping brows and all this, you know, and where, how it works. <laughs> so I got no answer. I, as a little kid, you know, you, I make your own answers, I guess, but it was actually, ironically, in Salt Lake City, uh, as a teenager, going to Sunday school, once again, not by my choice, but <laughs> I decided, it hit me like a ton of bricks, that I didn't believe that crap once and for all, and that was it. I got up and walked out of the class, and the teacher was like, where are you going, where are you going? I was like, I can't do this, I don't believe this, and I left. Nice. So as far as Satanism, you know, I'd never really known. I mean, I got it. I was into death metal and all that stuff back in the 80s, and, you know, I still listen to it, but that was all make-believe, too. Somehow you didn't really believe that's what it was about. And uh, I kept seeing Anton LaVey's face, you know, here and there. I never read, you know, the Bible. And really, it's kind of a strange twist of fate as I ended up doing a death metal radio show here in Salt Lake City for about 10 years. Whoa.
And I thought, oh, the church is decent. You know, they put it on expecting to hear, like, oh, <laughs> praise Satan. Oh, bring forth the virgin, this robe, and have sex, you know. And it wasn't like that at all, you know, because I didn't know, I hadn't read the Bible, I didn't know anything about it. And this was before the internet, of course. Yeah. So I listened to the CD, and I thought, well, it's not quite what they had in mind, but it's still pretty cool, you know. They're not like that at all, like what Geraldo says, you know. <laughs> yeah. Pretty to the point. They were like, "This is what you do. This is 
how you do it, this is why you do it, and this is why you shouldn't do it. Yeah. That's kind of the greatest part about the way that the Church of Satan approaches it. Because, you know, it, the fact that it is an intellectual decompression chamber you're stepping into, you're not supposed to make heads or tails of it. You're just supposed to do it, accept it, and, you know, focus your power on, on, on the, the, the goal, you know. So, can we transition a little bit to the music now? Um, what what was it in your, your history? I mean, you said that you were a fan of, of black metal and... Um, hardcore and stuff I mean used to DJs for, so I, I you know I presume that you were a big fan of it I love it I always do I always I still like it now but it's just become so stagnant now but back in the late 80s you know it was great cause it was all new it was extreme I was a lot younger and more angry and yeah it was great stuff you know anything from Slayer when they were first coming out bands like Napalm Death Carcass you know all that stuff Dark Bone Mayhem Yeah, I would say. So, I mean, having listened to some of your projects that you put out, what what inspired you to put out the type of music that you do, the more ambient uh, type music, versus going and staying with the, the, the dark metal or the black metal? Well, um, it's almost the same thing with all the science and magic and stuff. Even with uh, Say, Say Mr. Born and Not Made, I think if you're someone else would consider a creepy person and this is funny because today I was thinking this I was listening to uh, Diamanda Galas I don't know if you're familiar with her music no she's a vocalist uh, Greek American vocalist that does some very very just twisted vocal stuff it's always about like the tortures of sinners and heretics and Christ and just all kinds of like really irreligious stuff um, have you seen Dracula Bram Stoker's Dracula with Keanu Reeves yeah um, So is Scapegoat your first foray into this? Uh, first and only. Um, oh, I'm sorry, because I thought Zodiac, is that is that an extension of, of Scapegoat? Oh, uh, Zodiac is just purely fun. It's uh, loud, pounding, just noisy, like heavy metal techno stuff is the best way to describe it. And there's no yeah. vocals or anything. It's just no message other than 
Hell yeah. A lot of people seem to hate it, but this is America, you know, don't ever get it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in people Germany for a minute. Outside of the um, the death metal, what influenced? I mean, what what influences you know you to create this music? Uh, are are there other bands other than that that Greek vocalist uh, that you listen to and help sort of inspire you? commercial success yeah where can people pick up your music like where can people hear your music Yeah, for real. 
outside of my myself doing it, which I don't know anything about that yet. But uh, the only other thing I can think of is there's an Italian label called Radical Matters that uh, has an online only record label. You can download our, you know, my first album on there. How would you like people to view your music? Like, um, uh, is is there a specific use you had in mind when you were creating it? Uh, Obviously, there was a feeling you were going for, an atmosphere. Uh, how would you like that used? Well, I think the best thing is for people to use it um, however they can. I mean, the, the best thing for me that I loved ambient music for from the beginning, other than how dark it was, was uh, in setting a mood and the tone, you know. At the time, I never would have said this, but now it's like it seems like I've come full circle. I was trying so hard to be like those dark ritual recordings, like these bands, like Zero Comma and Ainsoft from Italy. I don't know if you've heard of any of these. They're really obscure. No. Um, but they're strictly magic. They're not bands per se. They're not like musicians that put out album after album. These guys made a few ritual recordings, and that was it. You know, they were really limited. They recorded their stuff with human bones. You know, instruments made from human bones. They, hey. Yeah, some of them, not all of them, but some of them. I mean, we're talking one artist went and dug up the bone and made flutes and little drums out of it. And you look it up online, <laughs> zero comma. You can see pictures of it, you know. And that's real, you know. And that, that's something I wouldn't go dig up somebody's grave to make instruments out of their bones. But I mean, that's <laughs> impressive in a way because they were dedicated. And that's really what that music is about. It's no, you know, skinny kid from Norway pretending to be, you know, evil and satanic and trying to burn down churches and wearing, you know, makeup and all that. It's yeah. nothing like that. <laughs> I think I think process has a hell of a lot to do with effectiveness and um, uh, just general weight of of uh, um, oh what's the word I want to use here uh, I'm gonna say personality because you know for that that band that <laughs> I would never suggest anyone do this but for that band that goes and digs up uh, a, a skeleton from a grave and, and fashions his instruments out of that. I, I don't think there's any any residual anything in that. It, it, it's it's bones. It's lack of existence anymore. But the fact that he's putting his energy into authenticity as he sees it, and 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 the process of of manufacturing it, and then creating the music that feeds that process feeds into him, and then is put out into the music itself. So I I absolutely agree with you on that um, aspect of it, and uh, that's fascinating. I'm gonna have to look that up. I've never heard of that before. I'll send you a link for some of those bands. I mean, I can always make you a recording, too. Oh, you'll make me a mixtape. <laughs> oh, I will. I, some of these things, you know, I find that people are really interested in this, and I tell them this stuff up front about the bones and all that, because I don't want... I, I take this music really personally, even before I was making it myself, is I, I just didn't want the wrong people to get into it, you know, and start going like, yeah, check this out, guys, you know, and, you know, like the whole black metal phenomenon. I, there's no... Yeah music to me in that way than black metal. I mean, I like some of the music itself, but that whole attitude that came with it, it really just 
of churches and the whole like satanic rhetoric it was like and then it turned into racial hatred and all that and it was just stupid yeah and you know, really none of it has to do with any real satanic rhetoric at all so that's it's counterproductive well, it as well kids realize that and that's when they started saying Anton LaVey was a phony and all that and that's when they started getting into Vulcan and their own gods and their Nordic religion which is fine but you know it came with the hate you know I'm like if you guys are so repressed why don't you write a book you know what is screaming your head off in a black metal van going to do about it burning a church is only going to make things worse you know yeah but you know you know that story I'm sure if you don't there's Empowering, and I think it's. The, I've sort of articulated this to other people in the past, but I sort of see it as you you have you have individuals who identify with Satanism, uh, the philosophy, and then you have people who identify with Satanism, the philosophy, and then enact it. You know, they actually use it, and what I mean by using it is is ritual. You know, they're practitioners of of greater magic and lesser magic, and it's. I, I think they are distinct personalities that adhere to each though it's all Satanist you know it, it, it's all the same person it's just whether or not they want to um, uh, you know take that step into the world um, and I think for a lot of people it might be a little challenging a little daunting and even at times a little um, a little scary for some people but for those of us who do who are you know ritual um, uh, magicians it's it's just a part of life that you have to do, you know, and there is some, there's some reality behind it and not looking too deeply into the whys uh, of it, I think is one of the components of success, you know, just, just accept it for what it is and, and ride that magical wave you're creating. It's pretty badass. Um, I'm sure that when you are with people, 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and I never did that before. You know, I said, oh, it's body heat or whatever, you know, or else you don't even notice it. But the more you do this, the more you notice every little thing around you. And it's amazing, really. Why that comes out as dark, I don't know. But to me, that's, I'd have it no other way, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just more interesting that way. It's like I've never been about happy sunshine. You know, I was the one kid in class that was happy because it was gray and raining outside. All the other kids were bummed out because they couldn't play football during, you know, PE class. So it's like, yeah, Yeah, get out there, listen to this music because it is—it's very interesting. It's—it's it's mildly creepy. It—it it really pulls you out of—I don't know—the reality of of this modern world that we live in. And sometimes that's what we absolutely need, especially when you're, you know, thinking about um, abstract ideas like magic or ritual. Um, again, thank you so much for joining me. And until we can meet in uh, person and we can uh, share some homebrew, hell, Satan. And now a track from Scapegoat, the keys to the first and the last.
Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bazaar of the Bazaar. So I'm sitting at work, and uh, whenever I receive a new project, it comes in the form of a job jacket, which is essentially a plastic folder with all of the pertinent information I need so that I can create the ad or the brochure or whatever it is that I'm doing uh, for the project. Uh, and on this job jacket, as we refer to it, is a curly black hair. Now, there's no one in my office that has curly black hair. And there certainly are people who have black hair. And more to that, there are people who have black hair who I could receive a job jacket from. So I immediately connected with obviously pubic hair and and I'm looking and I'm like holy fuck and immediately I'm like tunnel vision on this fucking stray hair here holy shit there is literally a pube on my work how am I supposed to go about my day knowing that whomever put this here had at some point had their hand in their pants with their junk, and it ended up <laughs> on my job jacket, right on my desk, right in front of me. I mean, the idea itself is insane. I mean, y- y- you can't just, you have to be shedding like a dog. And that's not to say it doesn't happen from time to time. I understand, but more and more, I'm finding it uh, rarer and rarer for people not to trim <laughs> the hedge, so to speak. So if I find, like, what I would imagine being, and if, I'm sure you can imagine what that would be, a, a full-length, curly, black pubic hair. It is really shocking. So, I mean, a, a short little hair, I could be like, oh, well, it might be an eyebrow hair, or it might be a short hair, like a broken-off piece of just regular strand of hair on your head, or something like that. But no, no, no. If it's curly and it's black like that, and it, it's at X length, That's probably a pube. And there is literally someone's junk hair on my desk. And the idea itself is just so disgusting. It's just like, it's it's terrible. It's something that you never want to see in a work environment. Especially if you work with people that you have no interest in at all. And what does that say about the people? That they are shedding so much. That it could go from the, their pants or skirt onto a jacket that they're working on and they wouldn't notice. And that's making the assumption that they don't know it. What if they put it on there on purpose? How disgusting is that? A pube. Alright, so stray black hairs, not a good thing. Stay away from them, people. And look seriously, if you put your hand in your pants um, and you don't trim your hedge... <laughs> Uh, maybe keep in mind that um, other people might not want to see any stray hairs and might not want them on their desk of all places. Uh, you know, just be aware of it. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that I, I thought it was uh, gross and uh, worth discussing for at least a brief moment. 
Um, and that's going to be it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9CentsPodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents. And don't forget to leave a rating or comment if you do. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, Hail Satan!